from the age of 16 before I even was stripping I was still selling and doing and living a shitty life and having shitty behaviors and so I had designed and you know manifested this bullshit life that I had so yeah did I really think that that was it for me fucking right I did is there Darkness to Life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. Good day and welcome to another episode of From Darkness to Life and Our Collective Journey podcast brought to you by... Uh, Nicole Davis Real Estate in Medicine Hat. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Nicole. We are here at the Plugged In Media Network. Uh, we've got some really nice romantic lights today. Dave's really set the mood. There was some talk of uh, Ryan demonstrating his new pole routine, but we kind of skimmed over that. I think we're waiting for an After Dark episode. Yeah, we're going to save that for the live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. So, uh, I'm Rick. This is my buddy Ryan. That's me. And we have a special guest today named Kimberly. I almost called you Kim. I know you prefer Kimberly. Yes. But. Well, good morning. I'm lazy, so I just go with the <laughs> shortest possible. It's Kim. Yes. I do prefer Kimberly, but you know. All right. Well, I'll try to remember, but I probably won't. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I ran into Kimberly through. See? Got it right the first time, anyway. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I met Kimberly through um, the recovery coaching community, and she's working out of Calgary. And uh, I w had breakfast with her one day, and she kind of told me her story, and I was like, wow, that's a pretty cool story. <laughs> so I was like, hey, why don't you come on out here and uh, come on our podcast and tell us a little bit about yourself. Is this where I go? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so now you've got to fill about an hour, about 58 minutes of your story. No and pressure. Go. No pressure. Um, well, hi, I am Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. And I do go by Kim, so that's, hi, Kim. that's fine as well. Hi, um, Kimberly. Oh, boy. Uh, where to start? <laughs> How about from the beginning? No, let's not start from the beginning. No, we're going to skip. We're going <laughs> to fast forward a little we're bit. We're going to fast forward a little bit. Um, maybe to like my late teens, right. you know, because that's where stuff just, you know, you think you're doing normal mm -hmm. normal stuff, normal kid shit, you know. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> just, and you're in high school, you know, getting the first influences of stuff and you don't see anything like you don't even see life as epic problems. Um but uh, in hindsight, and this is coming after the recovery process, right. you know, the reflection time, um, the bush parties, the blackouts, they were all prevalent, you know, but it was common. You know, my friends, oh, I would, yeah. my friends and I would wake up and we'd be like, did you, like, did you remember? Do you, and nobody could remember. And we just continued on. And it was just like, we just lived life like that we and didn't know anything different where was this this oh yeah i should start there i'm from um toronto born oh. and raised in scarborough you guys had bush parties in toronto well outside of toronto there's a place called oshawa oh yes the generals <laughs> oh boy uh yeah so that's where i spent like my high school like public school and high school years and um 
there was bush parties and there was craziness um you know i was exposed to a biker lifestyle um but mostly it was during high school bush parties and fights at school mm-hmm. <laughs> i didn't make it through much of it um i think i ended my high school career grade 10 and i decided that i knew better what to do and then i could do it better than everybody else and i took my little you know weed bag dealing ass and just you know like got out of dodge because i knew exactly how my life was going to plan out and it was going to be glorious and epic and no (laughs) it was um well not full of sadness and and whatever but there was um yeah there was just some messed up stuff you know bad choices and unhealthy behaviors around men um didn't know what healthy friendship looked like like i had one but i didn't i couldn't appreciate it when i had it right um she's still in my life now which is fabulous we've been friends since we were seven um she went the i'm gonna do my high school i'm gonna live the proper life route you know but uh i went to the strip club route at 17 you know wasn't an illustrious career trust me it lasted one song not even three minutes <laughs> knocked myself out say what <laughs> hold the phone we gotta hear yeah, yeah, this story yeah. there's gotta be some details <laughs> one okay. minute one song it lasted not even the full song it lasted as far as i could get to the pole do a little side to side and i fell over and i knocked myself out and i instantly became a waitress <laughs> <laughs> they were like Okay, come over here. But (laughs) being a waitress um, was also just as um, crazy as being a stripper. Still very much a part of. I was just forced to sell drugs. And um, still forced to wear, you know, skimpy outfits. And I'm 17, but I'm making what I consider good money, you know. Um, And it all came really fast, you know. But the... The unhealthy behaviors around men like not it was just chaos you know and i can't even really put my finger on it but there was a lot of educational stuff that went on there just in another direction you know um now i've learned about transferable skills (laughs) (laughs) but that's a whole other story that's what happens later um but during that time it was just like it was just how i thought life was gonna be you know this epic rock star life and this is what's gonna happen and we're gonna go do this and some rich guy's gonna marry or something's gonna happen i just felt like something had to happen um what happened was um i became a manipulator yeah. I, I learned how to use my environment to my benefit. I learned how to, you know, be a thief, a liar, a deceiver. Like I learned all of these toxic values and, um, and, but they benefited me. Mm-hmm. They helped me survive. You know, they, um, I didn't have anything I could trust, but I thought I could. But uh, the number one person I couldn't trust was myself. Right. I was making shitty decisions <laughs> left, right, and center. And I like to use the term, I kept trumping stupid. Because just every year that I would do something epically dumb, I was like, oh, it's, oh, it's only up from here. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. <laughs> well, That's not beer. the... D- Ryan can relate to that. Absolutely. <laughs> I never went down that path. No, no. I, no. Never, I never did any stupid that shit. pretty straight and narrow. <laughs> oh, my God, Ryan, though. My mm-hmm. God, you do some stupid shit. Look right? Up. 
And it just like, and for the longest time, I'd be like, it's everybody else. Yeah, oh, for It sure. was never me. Every, like, oh, it's that group of friends. If I can just like not hang around with those assholes, you know, I can yeah. just be, Things I'll be, be great. And my mom agreed. <laughs> my mom was just like, she was totally for it. No, my daughter's not the trashy one. Yeah. You are. <laughs> As I tuck my stripper heels into a bag and sneak out, you know. Um, but yeah, so it just, so from 17 to 19, it was just grossly distorted mm-hmm. you know um parties and not parties and bars and strip clubs at a very young age like definitely underage you know and we're, we're stripping for old men young doesn't even matter right um and the habits and the values that i'm you know gathering for my little you know go-to um became a part of very much who i was I left there in uh, my first attempt at a geographical change. I left there and moved to Vancouver. Um, a girlfriend of mine who left high school, she saw the things that were going on in my life. And she's like, you need to just move out to Vancouver. And so we just smoke weed. Everybody's just chill. And I'm like, I need some of that in my life. I need chill. I can do chill. Oh, no, I can't do chill. But anywho, I didn't know that till after I moved there with $200 and everything I could carry. Um, but it was definitely different, but I was definitely always there. (laughs) So it was a slow burn as to when the shit toxicity crept back in. And, um, but it did, you know, I was just doing shitty in a new place with some new people, you know, (laughs) it's like, Oh, nobody knows. So it didn't just stay in Ontario. No, no, no. and I couldn't keep my crazy tucked in either. Just kept flying out. out. (laughs) Again, Ryan can relate to that. I not so much. Ryan still have trouble keeping crazy tucked in. Yeah, (laughs) you know, but it's so. It it just, I kept going. You know that, and I stayed out there for quite a few years. I have some scars. I have some like epic stories, things that I'll never do again. Mm -hmm. You know, met some. Just had some uh, lived life. Went to Vegas when I was twenty one. Did all these beautiful things that at that age in my early twenties I should be doing. And then, and then I was doing some other stuff over here that I should not be doing. Like I learned how to drug smuggle. I learned. To, do you know what I mean? I got into like other seedy areas of life. Like learned about fraud. Learned about how to that I could support myself without just being a drug dealer or a stripper, that there was other shittier ways to still, right. you know, get by financially <laughs> and um, and make everything look good. And I came to learn how to design things that they would look good on mm-hmm. the outside if you were outside looking in. But I am so broken. Absolutely. So broken. And You're I, like the female Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> You paint that look in the picture that everybody gets to see, right? But yes. don't look behind it. You can't see no, behind it. Like, won't let you. Yes. And that's just it. And I just, um, but the, it's c- weird because it's kind of like that reflective glass where it's one way. Yeah. You know, I'm the only one that gets to see out. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nobody else gets to see in. Right. And um, I don't like what I see when I see, look at myself. Yeah. You know, when the first senses of, of self-loathing start to creep in um i just i don't know what to do Mm because i'm realizing fuck yeah it's not other people (laughs) shit it's me you know and i'm just like wait 
if I just drink more, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be me anymore. Right. <laughs> you know, I can just like <laughs> elusively continue to like put it outwards and project it out. Then I'm not the problem. For sure. Um, and not be accountable. You know, I'm still not continuing with education. I'm managing to pick up like odd jobs here and there, you know, receptionist at a car dealership or you know, during the daytime, I was doing telemarketing, and then at the receptionist at night, and like I knew I recognized that voice. <laughs> you phoned my house at eighty-seven. <laughs> I'm not that old, Jesus. Neither <laughs> am I. But then something, something happened, and I literally got kicked out of the province of BC. So I had to go back to Ontario, and uh, I had to go back to what I what I thought was like the shittiest place on earth for me. And, um, but I did it. I went back home and went back to live with my parents. And that just was like a gross feeling, you know? And I just spiraled down even harder. Because where did I go? I went back to the strip clubs. Right. I went back to what I knew. What you knew, yeah. Right? So, yeah. Went back to that comfortability. Went back to those. Not that they got epically better in BC, but my behaviors are better. I just, I learned how to be a nice person. and learned how to be chill. And that's just not the momentum in Ontario. Um, and so, I just, I went back. I did what I could for like the first few years. And then I just gave in and just surrendered to the cocaine and just was like one with the cocaine. <laughs> I was, you know. You got a case of the fuckets. I did. <laughs> well, I just, I didn't know, I didn't see progression or a future right. with how I felt about myself when I was in Ontario, just how I felt about myself in general. Um, I was quite happy running from myself. Thank you very much. But, <laughs> you know, I just, uh, I couldn't keep up. So at some point I had to land a couple of places and I tried to get a boyfriend. I tried to do like, you know, what my girlfriend was doing back in Ontario. So I, I didn't want to have kids. So I had, I got a boyfriend who had a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and then our cocaine problem became a cocaine and pill problem. Other things came into play. So oxys came into mm -hmm. play and that took the pain away, you know. And it kind of dulled the the party life down. It was a way to come down off of it. And right. it was a way to shut down the inside. I don't know if that makes sense. It mm -hmm. might make perfect <laughs> sense to us. Too, yes. <laughs> yeah. But um, so after after that, that was my first. And then I blew out my septum with the cocaine. <laughs> Too yep. much cocaine. You start to lose parts. Damn. <laughs> but and then that was my first intro into um, into something different, recovery, right? Like I knocked on the door, like literally went and knocked on the door. I didn't sign up. I didn't have a phone. I didn't do anything. I just went and knocked on the fucking door. And they were like, no, you have to go through a whole thing. And I was like, no, I'm just, I'm here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can I just join? <laughs> just, I'll just hop in the back for lunch or whatever. And so I, I stayed there long enough that um, they did just let me in. Nice. And uh, I stayed for the 30 days and you know, I don't know if, if if anybody else has had this experience where you feel like that 30 days and them there 
that everybody at that treatment center, they're supposed to fix me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've got the magic something behind that door, and I'm they are going to shake the bullshit out of me, and all of a sudden, I'm going to be just a brand new person. <laughs> and it's all on them, not on me. I got a phone call yesterday from a new client, and he said... Uh, I said, well, what do you, what can I do to help you? And he goes, I just need you to fix me. <laughs> yes. And I was like, well, cool, but you understand that, like, I don't do any of the work. You do. It's going to cost forty nine ninety five. Three easy yeah. installments. That's right. And you have to call my 900 number every two hours. Yeah, that's right. And you get one of these free t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't quite oh, work that way. That's... But that's so similar, because when I went to treatment the first time, my 30-day program, I left check that box now i'm good yes yeah. i'm fixed yeah like I'm, I'm good to go and i literally treated it like it was a car wash and i was the car and i'm just getting cleaned up yeah not looking at it like i needed like new tires need it like not looking <laughs> yeah. at it like, i just cleaned the car up for sure put me back out so let's yeah. go um so i went i came out i did do the sober living thing um because i really had nowhere to go i knew i didn't <laughs> want to go back to my parents house mm-hmm. and uh so i stayed there And I did the marijuana maintenance program, you know, and it was fabulous. I got to, like, get some new colored paints for everybody to see, you know, (laughs) and just, like, design new walls for them to look at so they didn't have to see me again. For sure. And um, carry on. But I I went to meetings. I don't need a big book. I'm not like you guys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That literally came out of my mouth. And I decided that if... If I just managed well, if I just got the right boyfriend, the right job, the right car, the right apartment, the right place, the right, all of these other right <clears throat> things, life would be fantastic. Like still not understanding what the whole concept sure. of living my best life could be like. I still just kept wanting, because that's where my value system was also skewed too. You know, um, going back to like my high school stuff, my value system was based on what I looked like and um, the things that I had. So if I had nice purse, great shoes, good car, um, good body, like if I had all of these things, nobody would second guess me. Nobody would challenge me even. Mm -hmm. And so I learned to build up that facade. Is that why you have all those purses, Ryan? Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Right? I you didn't just... know that you knew I had those. But, well, <laughs> I do. <laughs> Michael Kors. Yeah, yes. You need to up your game a little bit, though. Do I? Thank you. Yeah, you're, cute. you're this. cuter than that. Come on. <laughs> We're going to have to hang out a little bit. I need some advice. I'm going to have to ask my wife. Yeah. What purse should I get next? <laughs> moving on. Yes, moving on. <laughs> but that's so, and I didn't get to understand any of these pieces, but I knew that me going through those things. My family was was happy that I was sober. Mm-hmm. Everybody was happy that I was sober. They threw parties for me. I got invited to Christmas dinners again. It was just like, so I felt like it was enough, you know? And then I also felt like I could do anything. Okay, here we go. If I just drink and don't, don't do cocaine, I won't end up back in rehab. For I can sure. keep it all together. Or better yet, if I don't, if I do cocaine and not anything else, I'll be even better. That's my story. Because uh, I am a real well. I am a rock star <laughs> on that, you know, like so. And it was all of these 
mixing and matching and trying to find the combination of stuff that would work for me. And by the time I realized what had happened, I'm I'm six months in a relapse, you know, trying to find out which method is going to work for me. <laughs> so um, that took out. I was 26, 20, no, 27 when I first tried rehab. That took me out for another 12 years. And when they say you fall off the cliff when you go back out, I epically trumped every stupid I could have ever, ever concocted over those 12 years. And um, yeah, even the last five years leading up to to me getting sober, um, <laughs> I was lying to myself constantly. Oh, it's still everybody else. It's still all of these things. Um, and my life was just deteriorating. And I'd almost like just given up hope you know when I went over the age of 35 and I was still using I was like oh well fuck you know I'm not married I don't mm -hmm. have kids I don't have, like this is my life I'm a failure well not yeah yes I'm taking <clears throat> stock and I'm like oh boy oh don't get me wrong um like I had money there was always money around but it was the lifestyle that I was living to get that money like I took lying, cheating, manipulating to another level. I went from being a failed stripper <laughs> to being an escort slash drug smuggler. And uh, funny enough, I, I used the smuggling to get out of escorting, you know? And it was this, um, yeah, just this sad state mm -hmm. of entitled bullshit that I was living because at the same time I'm still living this entitled lifestyle you know of designer shoes and designer purses and five star this and like all of that was still there and I'm just like ew about myself and um, even though my methods had slowly progressed and by methods I mean I went from snorting yeah. you know politely <clears throat> snorting like a lady <laughs> like a lady <laughs> to you know smoking crack like a champ yeah. and then um yeah shooting like like a junkie yeah you know and um none of it was what i wanted to see for my life but at the by the time it was all it just it it fueled my sadness which fueled my drug addiction mm -hmm which fueled my helplessness and hopelessness and I but I wasn't to the point where I could ask for help I th I really honestly had thought at 30 37 38 that I was too far gone mm -hmm. I didn't I couldn't see a life outside of that because when I would break it down in my head you got a grade 10 education like I'm practically talking to myself you for know sure. like I'm not pep talking myself it's kind of in the other direction where i'm like the fuck do you really have to offer the world mm -hmm. you know and i spent the last part of what 2020 no it's 2016 i came back from thailand 2017 i committed the crime in edmonton that put me on the house arrest in calgary which saved my life but 2016, 2017, there's like a period of time where I just 
I wanted to die, but I was too cowardice to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I drove around shooting up cocaine, driving rental vehicles, um, selling drugs and selling myself and selling others, just selling, lying, thieving, whatever I could to just exist and not even exist well. Um, just occupy space, I felt like I was doing. And um, I just kept, I didn't know how to do anything different. That was my thing. It's like I wish I could understand how to just stop. Right. Did When you were in that state, do you have that feeling that, or do you tell yourself, I know in my experience, that I can't do anything different. This is all I'm good at, and yeah. this is the rest of my life. Yeah. Well, it becomes your identity. Totally. Right? Yeah. It yeah. became my, it was my everything. I had literally built that lifestyle up from the age of 16 before I even was stripping. I was still selling and doing and living a shitty life and having shitty behaviors. And so I had designed and, you know, manifested this bullshit life that mm-hmm. I had, you know? Um, and I didn't, I didn't know anything different. Right. So, yeah, did I really think that that was it for me? Fucking right I did. And it's it's either that or death. So, you know, and it says in um, one of the 12-step, says jails, institutions, or death. Mm-hmm. I only had death left to do. <laughs> that was the only other one on my list. Like, right. I had done everything else. I was like, okay, when, when is this happening? I'll just yeah. keep driving around until you get me. <laughs> you know, I didn't, um, you know, I, I even remember... I had overdosed once at a girlfriend's house. And the man who was saving my life, the EMS guy, when I opened my eyes, I yelled rape. <laughs> because I, I didn't know yeah. any better. And the lifestyle <laughs> I lived, I was just like, ugh, yeah. you know? And, wow. and my girlfriend was like, shut up, he's saving your life. I didn't even know that I had overdosed. I had not a fucking clue. Wow. And... Even in that moment, did I want to do anything different? No. Right up until 2017, after I'd committed the crime that put me on the house arrest, um, I was sitting in a hospital bed with a blood infection from shooting up with dirty water and just, just my overall grossness. And uh, I was sitting there, and I still didn't know how to do anything different. I had a pick line going in my arm and I was still having drugs delivered to the hospital so that I could shoot up. I finally didn't have to try to find a vein. <laughs> yeah. I, I could just go. Well, this is convenient. Yeah. Well, that's just it. They're like, don't be doing anything in there. And I was like, who, me? <laughs> Trust me. The one with the track marks over here? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, just, so I just didn't, I, I didn't know. Right. And and I and I that was my first surrender, you know. Actually, it was when I saw the news and I was on it in that hospital, and I was like, "Motherfucker!" Oh. <laughs> Man, I got a sweet purse. Look at that. <laughs> Killing. Oh, but uh, and then my phone starts going off, and I just I was like, "Okay, I don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to do this," and I'm in a room by myself and I'm literally talking to the universe, to God, to, to the, the, the powers that be, you know, I don't know how to do this. And part of me wanted to run. 
of course, rip everything out of my body and mm-hmm. and just go. Um, but I couldn't. I couldn't walk, <laughs> you know, because the infection had <laughs> gathered in my spine. So there was some issues there. And um, I just... I just surrendered. I didn't know what else to do. Called my mom. She got me in touch with who I needed to get in touch with to surrender. And I I called them and told them, listen, you can take the stuff off the TV. (laughs) I've got family, but like I'm in the hospital. I have full plans on turning myself in, you know, and uh, I'll be there as soon as I'm well enough. And that was the beginning. And then I got a flight as soon as I was well enough. Got a flight in 2017 back out to Alberta. Um, begged the judge for treatment because it wasn't a drug crime. So treatment wasn't on the, an option. Right. And uh, I just and I just said, I need this. This is my, this is my, I said, I'm 38. This is all I got. This is my one chance, you know? And uh, he's like, I hope you make something of it. And I'm, I'm still, I'm waiting. I'm, t- I'm five years sober this November 10th. And I'm waiting till after that so I can write that judge a letter and everybody involved to let them know how they were all a part mm-hmm. of the beginning of my journey of me changing my life. <clears throat> and it just gets sweeter and sweeter after that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I am 180 degrees different today and I'm living a life that I could not have dreamed and manifested on my own in my own dreams you know you think you want this big house in the hill and all of these things and those are great and those are coming those are mine but it's who I look at in the mirror every day who I see Mm -hmm. in the window as I walk down the street I don't see a hooker anymore I don't see a junkie and looking back at me in the reflection anymore I see somebody with purpose. Yeah. I see somebody with meaning. I see somebody that's doing what they can to put their lives together. And by their lives, I mean myself and my two dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but because uh, I didn't even know. I couldn't, you know, couldn't imagine. I'm, I'm holding back tears right now because I don't know how that's going to sound. <laughs> There's a reason there's Kleenex in here. This room has a tendency to bring it out of you. Rick breaks down all the time. I do. A bit of a basket case. Right? It's just, I didn't know how good it could get. I didn't know how simple life needed to be. Mm -hmm. And just how good it gets when it's simple. You know? And it's clear. And it's... Inspirationally driven, you know, like it's, it's a drive that comes from deep within me. That um, it's probably the realest thing I've ever felt in my life, you know. And it was, uh, it's created out of bullshit, <laughs> you know. But um, yeah, I never knew. Just never knew. And now I want to share it with everybody. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to show everybody that little piece inside of them. Right. You know? That I just I want to believe in somebody and how I had people along the way believe in me. That's cool. I know. And it wasn't don't get me wrong, like I'm grateful for my mom. I'm grateful for my 
my girlfriend, Christine, who have been there the entire way, you know, my sister, my nieces, all of that. But there have been some instrumental people that I couldn't custom pick. Mm -hmm. my, my, let's go back to my choice making before, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you sort of hold off in that department when, when it's, um, when your life starts to become meaningful, mm -hmm. you're like, whoa. And I just started looking around and seeing who was actually placed in my life, who was actually already there, you know, and uh, who were the door openers, who were the ones that um, were little cheerleaders that came out of nowhere and listened on the sidelines being like, hey, you got this, right. hey. you know, and some of them, some of them have names, some of them don't, some of them stay along the whole journey and you don't, they're kind of like the consistent <laughs> background you know yeah. um and then there's like there's the new ones that pop up and then and there's the odd one that says that you did something for them oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh when that happened to me for the first time i got a letter from somebody saying how i helped them believe in themselves I came undone. I was like, oh my goodness, like this is, this is, this, don't, this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's what I want to do with my life. I want to help people feel like that every day. You know, I want to help people know that they matter. Each and every one of them matter. You know, it doesn't matter what <clears throat> decisions they make or journey they're on. You know, they just matter. Mm -hmm. And that simple thing, and that simple thing about seeing somebody, just to be seen. That's why I love recovery coaching. It's not always about getting somebody to a goal or getting somebody to anything. It's about seeing somebody, seeing the, the light in them, remembering their name, like showing up for them keeping commitments keeping you know letting them know that there's consistency like people who are consistent out there people mm -hmm. who are authentic out there and people who care out there you know yeah and when they're if they're marginalized they don't get seen every day right you know and they definitely don't run into people that are willing to help them with no expectations. no expectations we're not trying to get anything from you no yeah no and i can't do it for them <laughs> mm -hmm. i'll always have that conversation too because i'm looking at them not only am i seeing them but i'm seeing the strength in them that they can do for them themselves what i did for me yeah you know whether that's me sharing my story whether that's me sharing a coffee with them like it's or just hearing them you know hearing them <laughs> you know like yeah so that's that's what keeps me going that's what gets my boots on every day that's what you know that's not what puts the smile on my face every day but they sure as shit keep it there you know and that's yeah so told you she was pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's really inspirational when I'm sitting here listening to you share your story right and it's something we discuss all the time and we run into that with people who are struggling in substance abuse, right? Or substance use disorder. And it's all our stories are different. You know, your story is completely different aspects of it, except for the purses that we share. But, <laughs> yes. I mean, 
And the brief pole dancing career. Yes. I haven't quite started mine yet. It's coming. It's coming. Sorry, Alyssa. I'll be there to catch you when you fall. That's right. I got a helmet. I got a helmet picked out. It's got sparkles on it. So I'm good. But, uh, um, yeah, the feelings are the same, though. That's what I noticed while you're sharing your story, right? Your, your story is way different than mine, but the feelings, I got, you know, the goosebumps a couple times thinking, man, I know that feeling. I know that feeling of hopelessness and desperation. And it went to other, you know, yours took you to other places than mine took me, but the darkness is similar, right? The feelings that come with it. Oh my gosh. And that's the value of being vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? Is, is it's really easy to sit there and be like, I'm the only one with this shitty fucked up life story that yeah. nobody could possibly understand. And it's like, well, no. I might not be able to relate to your story, but I can relate to every single word that was inside, like every, every, every feeling. feeling that yeah. went with it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's the one unifying factor of everybody that sits in that chair. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Yeah. We've had crazy different stories, yeah. but like the feelings are exactly the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm honored to sit here too. Like it was um, really nice to be asked. It's, there's so much strength that I never realized that was there, you know, because I felt so weak. Oh, yeah. Ugh. I felt so beaten down and not even by external stuff. Internally, I'd been kicking myself and beating myself down for years, telling myself, you know, um, that negative narrative of you're not mm-hmm. good enough. What are you gonna fucking do? Yeah. You know, you make fucking waitress <laughs> selling drugs. That's what you gonna do. <laughs> you know, like these little like gnawing little voices that you know they weren't real. And don't get me wrong, I I'm like for all of y'all that hear voices. Okay, that's not where I'm going with this. <laughs> <laughs> this is just like my negative self talk. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't live there anymore. You know doesn't live there anymore right i'm and yeah it's it's i never knew i never knew i could evict that guy out of my face out of my head you know and and be inspirational or love myself to the depth that i do not just i like this outfit i put on isn't it super (laughs) cute yeah no not that kind of love like love myself be aware of myself be aware of my my quirks Mm -hmm. love them i'm doing shadow work right now so i am finding different pieces of myself that i had shamed myself for guilted myself about you know like all of those just tough parts of ourselves that Mm -hmm. we're told don't belong here like don't be jealous don't be this it's like well there's there's beauty in that too, you know, because th- there's strength there. Because if you're jealous of something, it helps you want to pursue better things for yourself. Right. You know, it's just it's just the context and what you're looking at it and how you're using it in your life. Like everything can be a tool, <clears throat> you know, for internal growth, internal in- like introspection, and you know, a, a power move for myself. Sure. Not prideful, but like empowering myself, mm-hmm. you know, and changing my story. My story didn't end at being a drug addict. Sure as fuck doesn't end at being a drug addict. You know, I'm still writing it. And if it's 
if I if I know myself, my addiction career was illustrious and fucking too like undescribable, you know. And I've been told many times I should write a book on it. I'm gonna make this life mm-hmm. even better than that because that was the kickoff, you know. And then this is what I'm working with now, and I've got. I've got nowhere, but like no limits, you know, when you really look at it and you take all the the shit away, you know, all the heavy, icky feelings of past stuff, old beliefs, shitty values, and you get to replace them with what I want from life. You know, I get to replace the manipulation, the thieving, the lying, the conniving i get to replace those things that i valued so much and i get to replace it with honesty kindness trust love generosity you know and not only like say those words but live them it's there's a different it, it has a different tone to it you know it rings it sounds just a little bit sweeter and it holds on that note just carries in the air just that second longer than yeah, everything else absolutely. it just stays with you yeah you're feeling that's it. that's like feeling it yeah. you know i'm feeling that i get to pull out those core beliefs that were told to me back when i was a little girl that you're not good enough yeah. you know you're not like why even try to do that <laughs> you know yeah. that that's not for you <laughs> you know you're you're not the smart one or just like this and that i get to um i get to change all that I get to replace those those beliefs of not being good enough and not adding up, mm-hmm. not to yes, I I am, I'm I'm purposeful, for sure. I'm meaningful, I'm empowered, and I can help empower others. You know, I've got substance. Mm-hmm. I'm you know like there's there's so much that gets represented and gets shared with people when you share a room with people. Yeah. You share energy with people. That's how I feel. And when you carry that with yourself, you can light the room up. And that's my purpose. Mm-hmm. You know? So. Wow. Yeah. That's... You guys passing notes over there? We are. Oh, my goodness. Check yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what do you check? <laughs> oh, man. No, I love how you phrased lots of that stuff. Your recovery journey is pretty amazing. Um, I like the part about limitless. You were talking about that. And, and I think that goes hand in hand with when you're working a solid recovery, you know, you, you're not living a life full of expectations mm. and that leads to that limitless piece. Cause we don't really know what's coming our way. I think I, I, I know we have, we have a plan, we have a direction we're headed, but that open-mindedness and that willingness piece and that authenticity is the big piece I, I hear from you is it's, it's replacing all those old shitty behaviors <laughs> with authenticity, right? And, and yeah. it's almost like taking down that painted picture and just putting an empty frame up that really has nothing in it anymore. No, it's, it's a like, window. Yeah, yeah, totally, right? And it's like, yeah. this is me now, yeah. and I'm okay with me. And uh, Here I am. Yeah, yeah, here I am. And it's it's a whole different way of living because, yeah, I, I can relate to what you're saying, right? I painted that picture too, and nobody got to look behind it for years and years. It looked great on the outside. Yeah, man, he's got his shit together. Look at that big house and all these things, right? Yeah, it's fucking chaos, is what it was behind that picture. But you know, for me, <clears throat> Ryan, I don't, I don't know if I can, if you, you can probably share a lot of this too. And you, you too, Rick. 
my journey wasn't just in one direction. Mm -hmm. You know, it didn't, it was a collaboration of, you know, vulnerability, mistakes, and experiences. You know, and I don't choose to look at anything in a, in a negative or positive. I experience it in this life. I experience, I take it all in because it's a lesson, a blessing, or mm -hmm. you know, yeah. that's that's it for me. You know, and I'm I just take it for what it is and what it's contributing to my life because it's all contributing to my life. The twelve steps contributed to my life. Dharma recovery, Dharma contributed to my life. Smart recovery contributed to my life, and then there's me and my responsibility to myself i didn't just try one fucking yeah. drug out there are you kidding me right. if you had it i wanted it yeah. i didn't care what it, if colors bring it to me X, men, like yeah, give me more <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so I'm, I'm doing the same in this life just with life you know i want I've, i'm taking i took a values class last year last february march it blew the doors off the inside of my mind mm -hmm. it helped me rearrange get rid of the old core beliefs and understand what true value meant right. understand <clears throat> what value actually meant mm -hmm. you know and that can i do a plug right now Deep plug away on a dime transformations literally <laughs> blew my recovery wide open and, and I was already four and a half years clean at the time mm -hmm. when I was doing that. So I went in there as a spectator. Kelly oh. owes 50 bucks, buddy. <laughs> Make it 80. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was one of those things that I went in there as a spectator. You're just going to go in there. You're just going to observe. This is a program. We just want you to. Mm -hmm. and, and it rocked me. Yeah. Because I, I allowed it. That's what I do with my recoveries that I just allow for the experience to happen. And when that happens, I take it on and I just let let it shift my mind, let it shift my perspective, let it rearrange my thoughts for a little bit. Let me sit in contemplation with that. Let me meditate on that. Let mm -hmm. me see how deep a sentence, can, I, see how deep I can take a sentence right. in thought to see mm -hmm. how, how provoked and what's going to be evoked from me because of that sentence, mm. you know, and that's how far i take things with my recovery now um and that's what i mean by limitless yeah it's only it only goes as far as i say it does right and I, i'm no yeah yeah right yeah that's so open cool. road yeah, yeah. <laughs> that open-mindedness is life-changing i think in recovery is you know and we hear this all the time when, when we talk to people in recovery from different groups or different support groups or whatever right and it's it's not one like you said there's many things that contribute to your recovery, right? And and I've met so many people that one way is the only way and that's the only way that works. And man, that's great for you if that's what's working for you. But who knows where that limitless piece can come in then, right? Are we limiting ourselves if we just do the one way only? Yeah. And I know for me, like 12 step for me was the foundational piece that, that got me into recovery. Absolutely. I'll, I'll say that all day long, but is that the only piece that keeps me there now? No. There's so many other pieces I've added in over the years, right? And experienced and some of it I didn't like, but I, I like how you said a lesson and a blessing, right? And some of them I'm like, no, that's not for me, but I'll, I'm open to trying it. Yeah. And the next piece, if I'm not open-minded enough to try the next suggestion, I would have missed out on so many cool things in the last seven, eight years. It's been a wild ride, but it's because 
I don't think I know everything anymore because I know how that oh, fucked my life up. That was oh, <laughs> that was probably my. I talk about I don't fight for my recovery. Mm-hmm. I don't. I surrender. Yeah. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. I surrendered the drugs and the alcohol. I surrendered my my lifestyle, the way I thought life <laughs> had to be lived for mm-hmm, me. For sure. I surrendered the to the concept of thinking I know what the fuck is best. <laughs> <laughs> thinking that I knew what uh, living sober could look like. Right. I had no clue. I'd never done it before. Boring. I mean, well, I'd be lying to myself if I walked into anywhere at just being clean like literally like let's be real when you go into your your first meeting you might even still be up coming off a hangover like it doesn't matter like it's all colorful anyways but if i pretended to know the fuck living sober looked like i'd be right back using for sure politely Mm -hmm. (laughs) Politely, like a lady yeah like a lady you know (laughs) but um yeah, it's it's those moments of surrendering what I think I know to trusting the process mm-hmm. and yeah, maybe taking some suggestions, but making sure shit that I trust where the suggestion yeah. is coming from that like there has to be some a level of okay, some good things have happened every time I've interacted or taken advice from this said individual or they kind of look like they got it together, <laughs> you know? And um, and what aspect of my life am I looking to enhance by my interaction with that individual, you know? And going in with, like, the expectations piece, you know, future disappointments, mm-hmm. you know? But, sure. um, yeah, open mind and allowing, allowing for the experience, allowing for a new experience at life, not being like, oh, I've been to that. I'm not going to go there. Or I've heard about that. I'm not going there. And there's walk through that door, have your own experience. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. And I just like to point out that I think we've said, or actually you Kimberly have said the word clean twice in this podcast and I'm going to get fucking lit up for that on social media. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You are. Why? What's the, Oh Oh. my goodness. Well, we won't go down that route. Okay. But, I say it all the time yeah, because it makes sense to me and it makes sense to millions of other people in this world. But I decided to point that out because it's... What, the living clean? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, everybody's definition is their definition. (laughs) I love it. You know? We're going to have a whole podcast on this someday. Oh. Yes. I don't know if Rick's invited or not. He'll light it up. (laughs) He'll just be passing notes. (laughs) Okay? That's all he's going to be allowed to do. (laughs) He's our official note passer. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's called Scribe. Oh, that's the title. Ooh. It is official Scribe. Sage? You're our Scribe. You're <laughs> Interesting. Clean. Yeah, we got in some shit over that, didn't we? Because yeah. it uh, apparently offends, prevents people from seeking recovery if we use words like clean because it implies they're dirty and they get hung up on oh. that and then never seek recovery because we've labeled them, labeled as, dirty. them as dirty. Well, I am filthy. <laughs> sober i am filthy sober i really am like oh my goodness if that's if that's if that's what's got to be the twist in the wordage the verbiage to get you in the door to help you like benefit your life and grow your life yeah come in filthy over here bring it mm-hmm. you know For sure. there's like-minded people totally you know <clears throat> yeah i agree <laughs> 
Oh, I can see the social media rolling already. That's all right. I don't think that the people that will line us up listen to our podcast. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't you think You think so. they've got screeners? <laughs> know, maybe, maybe. Let me know if they say this word. Clink, 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 clink. Oh, my goodness. We're ridiculous. This is the shit that happens when we're left unsupervised. Where's Dave? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dave's going to have to edit that out. No. Um, you know what? Rick had mentioned that you were going to come on the show, and I was pretty excited because I knew of you and I've, you know, we've done recovery coach training together and some things and, but no, it's nice to sit and actually get to know who you are and what drives you and what your passion is. I know what your, I had an idea what your passion and what your purpose is because of what you do now. Yeah. And, uh, it's just one of those things that we're all like-minded people now in recovery. Right. And, and we don't do this for recognition or notoriety or to be no. experts in the field or any of that shit. It's it's about what you said, right? It's about hearing somebody, sitting across from somebody and actually listening to their story. Seeing them. Yeah. And, that, them. and that's just it, right? I, I'm an expert in my story. You're an expert in yours. You're an expert in yours. And trying to empower somebody to realize they're the only expert in their own story. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? And it's like, okay, well, you've, you, you like, you know, you talked about repurposing the tools that you've learned, right? And it's like, exactly. I mean, you, you have strengths. I don't give a shit who you are, how far down you've fallen. Yeah. There's strength in that. Right. Sure. And, and even like, uh, you know, we, un unfortunately slash fortunately, I guess, I don't know how to say it. We get uh, a lot of people that reach out in a very dark place and they're talking about suicide. Right. And, and, uh, or, or have been through some really dark shit. And I'm like, okay, how many times in your life have you sat down and went, I'm not going to get through this. Like really mm. can't count. How many times have you said that, right? Like fucking thousands probably. Oh my gosh. So I'm like, okay, well, guess what? You did. Every yeah. single time that you thought you weren't going to get through something, mm -hmm. you did or you <clears throat> wouldn't be sitting here. So there's way more strength in you than you even realize in this mm -hmm. moment, right? So Absolutely. tap into some of that shit. Yeah. So like, I, I think that's a really amazing gift that we get to do with our shared experience right is is i recognize you know and that's what i like about the recovery coach thing as opposed to the counselors or academic mm -hmm. route right is is uh it's it's non-prescriptive right mm -hmm. I, i'm i'm helping you just untap you right mm -hmm. i'm yeah. not i'm not going okay so step one is this well there is i guess that part does come when we talk about steps but that's a different that's yeah. a different that's a different situation <laughs> that's a different hat too, yes exactly you know? yeah uh, for yeah. sure it's a completely different hat yeah um but you know just going okay so let's let's help you realize the strengths you have mm -hmm. and through doing that you know i don't even like to say that we identify weaknesses but we identify the areas that we need to work on and we get to tap in your strengths to figure out how to work on those areas absolutely so it's just so much more empowering and positive experience for the client than you know, going to necessarily the academic route where mm -hmm. it's like, okay, well do this, 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 and this, and this is the recipe that we've created yeah. out of education. Out of the books. Out of the out, books. Out of the book. Uh, this is what the, the book tells me yeah. to tell you, yeah. go do it. So it's yeah. like, well, you know, that takes away the power of the client because they're no longer the expert in their story. Exactly. The book becomes the expert in their story. Mm -hmm. The book doesn't know shit. Yes. Right. So. Um, Recovery coaching is way more encompassing of the humanity of what an individual goes through yeah and and it it speaks to just them designing their best life <laughs> let's figure out how to get there it's not going to be a straight line it's going to be messy in the middle for sure 
you oh, know, Ryan's but let's get, fucking but, and that's the thing. Let's get messy. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm filthy sober. Let's get messy. Let's do this. If that's what it takes for you to live your best life. Like you've got somebody to take that journey with you. When you get a recovery coach, mm-hmm. you have somebody that's going to listen to you spit out whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. You want to go sniff bicycle seats on Wednesdays. Let's, let's do that. You know, let's go find a park with no kids, but let's go do that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, what it, what, but whatever it looks like. And if you want to go to a 12 step meeting on Friday, you want to go to Dharma on Sunday, you want to go anywhere, let's do it. For sure. If it's going to contribute to what you want your wellness to look like, you know, for me, recovery is a personal wellness lifestyle and it's individual. Mm-hmm. Yours is different from mine. Mine's different from yours. And everybody's is going to be different from everybody's, but we can all co- ha- collaborate on one thing. It's wellness. Yeah. It's something different. It's outside of the box and it's unique to everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a, a gentleman that I worked with recently and he just, he was struggling with wrapping his, his head around the reco- the concept of recovery. And we had a conversation and he told me a lot about himself. And by the end, I asked him if I could contribute. I asked his permission if I could make a suggestion. And he said, yeah. And I was like, what about you design your chef? You design your recovery recipe, which means you have to go and sample the ingredients, find out just how much of whatever it is that you need. And you write it in there and you write and you just keep going and you just keep trying and keep sampling whatever it is until you get the flavor right. And that becomes your journey, mm-hmm. you know? And, he, and and it just worked with how his brain worked. Right. It worked with how he could tenacious, like, oh, just go at it. Just ambitiously, just take it and go and and feel love and joy and all of the things that he feels when he's cooking. He can feel that towards his life again, Yeah, you know? And... It's um, it's in progress, you know, and he's he's doing it and he's contributing to his life and with that little bit of spice, you yeah, know. Yeah, that's so cool. That's a good way to put it, and it's person centered, right? There's a good example of it. Is mm-hmm. is how that is meeting someone where they're at and working with them as an individual and not exactly. Here's your program here's your recovery plan (laughs) here's your here's Here's your your standard everybody does it to kind of go to for what recovery looks like no Mm -hmm. make it yourself yeah i just talked with a lady yesterday there was somebody who phoned me to do uh like an asset map for the community and so they picked out our agency to to talk to and she said you know i i see that you guys say that you're person-centered and all these things and actually she says all the other agencies I talked to in the last three days have that in their mandate. They're person-centered, right? And once we started talking, we talked for 45 minutes. She said, you guys are actually person-centered. You meet people literally where they're at yes. and help them find their path. Yeah. And she said, to be honest, that's one of the only agencies I spoke to that actually knew what that phrase meant. <laughs> and actually, <laughs> it wasn't just on paper. And I think we had a guest on last year who said, that's grant centered language that's right grand language, yeah. <laughs> right it's it's people phone all the time and say what's your intake process <laughs> you're doing it right now yeah right? this it, is it yeah your there phone hey how's it going yeah right? you don't even have to give me your name yeah like we can get to those details later that's it's irrelevant what what's 
Yeah. What are you calling for? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. If this is your first time reaching out, what's up? Mm -hmm. Hi. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're going to get that and probably a cup of coffee instead of, you're not getting a 12 page document from us to fill out, right? Before we even figure out anything. Yeah. What's your age, date of birth, weight, weight at birth, all of that, you know, (laughs) like who needs it? Yeah, for sure. And, And I mean, when you're in a medical facility or any of those, sure, I get it that they have to have some of that information, but you're not going to get that here. That's not what we're about. And we just want to, you know, we talk about that window of opportunity and man, that a lot of times that's what slams that fucker shut right away is here's your documentation and here's two more barriers that you have to, yeah. two more okay. hoops you got to jump through before you come through this door. Yeah. We're like, fuck that. I'm out of here. Yeah. I want to know what your dreams up. are. Yeah. I want to know if you could, if you could design your best life, what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. What does that feel like in your body when you talk about it as you're, you're telling me what you want it to be, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And what do you think it's going to take to get you there? You know, you tell me the steps you want to take, not the other way around. For sure. I don't, you know, you tell me how you want to get there. And then if you want, we can check in along the way. You know, sometimes you have to go two steps back to take three massive ones forward. You know, it's all research. Yeah. We got to do our own research. R and D. Spent yeah. a lot of time in R and D. A lot of time. That yeah. was an expensive university. Yeah. yeah. My education came from the R and D university. Oh and it was my god! Very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Wow. Cool. Well, we're pretty much at the end of our hour here. So, do you have any more delightful little tidbits, as closing thoughts, or closing remarks? I just am really grateful and honored. To have been invited here thank you mm-hmm. yeah well thanks for making the drive down because i feel the same that mm-hmm. i'm quite honored i always feel this way when i'm around the table with a guest who's you know courageous enough and vulnerable enough to share their story of not their story of addiction but we kind of all know what that looks like right we know what are how deep and dark and gross they can get but it's <laughs> that turning point and that that message of hope and i was thinking early on you know you were speaking about as a young girl and, and all these thoughts and what you thought you needed and all these core values that were kind of instilled in you and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, man, how many girls are out there th- going to listen to this and are going through that same stuff right now, right? And how that might, if it helps one person. It's all worth it. Absolutely. That's really cool. Scribe? Scribe. <laughs> Why don't you scribe us? <laughs> Tell us some of your words of wisdom for the day. I got nothing. That was an amazing episode, really. Mm-hmm. Like, you are a very inspirational woman. And uh, and I'm glad that the universe has brought us together. Yes. It's, uh, it, it's pretty cool to see how things just line up and the right people show up at the right time. And and uh, you you no doubt were put in our path for a reason, and, and I'm excited to see where that road takes us. Mm-hmm. Likewise. Some of us more spiritual people might say, that's not odd. That's easy now. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway. I, uh, I have we talked about the pre-Christian comment? <laughs> no. Oh. So, oh, so oh, calling Dave, calling Dave. Yeah. So, uh, our, our buddy Dave, pastor Dave, who's been a guest on this, uh, podcast more than once, I think. Yeah. Um, I guess he was given a sermon. I don't know. Is that what they still call it? I was raised Catholic. I don't know how those, those guys do it. Given his, you know, morning Sunday chat to the congregation. 
and he's telling a story and somehow we came up in the story and he referred to me as his pre-Christian friend. (laughs) (laughs) I almost spit that all over the mic. (laughs) So I got a couple comments from people going, oh, you're the pre-Christian. I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? So I've put the pieces together, but apparently I'm the pre-Christian friend. So pump the tires on yeah. uh, yeah. on the divine intervention over there. The man of many nicknames. <laughs> <laughs> Add it to the list. Throw and... another set of training wheels on there. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Yeah. And with that, uh, yeah, thanks for coming, Kim Burley. Sorry, oh. Kimberly. Nice for this nice day. Yeah. <laughs> little little hesitation, but I got there. Um, and again, yeah, thanks to uh, thanks to Dave and the Plugged In Media Network and uh, our sponsor Nicole Davis Real Estate. If you're buying a, buying or selling Medicine Hat, call Nicole. The end. From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please consider supporting OCJ by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate. All proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Thank you for listening.